This morning, we're going to continue in our study of the great Sermon on the Mount. This is a tremendous passage of Scripture. I'd like for you to focus for just a few moments on the idea of the background before we look at the text itself. Most of us find ourselves at various crossroads at important points in our lives. For instance, many of you who are graduating from high school this year will find yourself having to make a choice, will I go to work or will I go to college? Some of you who are graduating from college this year will be faced with the challenge, where will I go to work and what kind of job will I have? Many of you will be faced with, whom will I marry? As we get a little older in life, sometimes we're forced to make a change in employment. And sometimes you have to think about, is it time for me to go into a different direction? Choices have to be made, and the right choice is critical. Because it's not just the journey, as some people tell you. It's the destination. You want to know where you're going to end in this life. And the truth is, everyone is on a spiritual journey. We all need Jesus to show us the right way so that we can end up in the right place. This morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at... Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Then we're going to look at verses 21 through 23. And we're going to look at three things from these passages. The first one is that of contrast. The Lord is going to contrast the two different paths that man may go down. We're then going to look at some challenges that we all will have to face if we go down the right path. And then finally, the consequences of the choice that we make. If you will, I want to focus your attention back now to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I'll have it on the screen, but I, again, I encourage you to read this in your Bible because this is something that you need to know and understand. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. In the world in which you and I live today, nobody likes this idea of black versus white, right versus wrong, good versus bad thinking. Everyone wants to think of something in the terms of a shade of gray. Well, this is a little better or this is a little worse. Or people want to believe in situation ethics that says, well, in this situation it might be good, but in another situation it might be bad. Let me point out to you that when we come to the Bible, there is a right way and there is a wrong way. In John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. Either you are going to go the way that Jesus teaches you to go, or you are not going to heaven, folks. It's simply that simple. No one can come to the Father except through him. 
Let me for just a few moments explore this passage with you. He says, enter in by the narrow gate. And then he talks about broad is the gate. Gates were very common in the first century. We don't have those too much today. We are not forced, for instance, to deal with um, going to a city. Usually we just see the city limits signs or maybe a welcome to. But in ancient times, cities have walls around them. And to get into the city or to get out of the city, you had to go through a gate. And quite frequently, these gates were named for the roads to which they led. For instance, if you go to the city of Jerusalem, there's what's called the Damascus Gate. goes to Damascus. On the west side of the city is the Jaffa Gate that leads to Jaffa. You go to Ephesus and there's the Magnesian Gate that leads to Magnesia. You see, they were known for the direction which they led. And quite a, when we think of the word enter, we think of entering a building or entering a city, but it's also the entering of a way. In Proverbs 4.14, Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. But there are two gates the Lord gives here. And he's going to contrast the two. The first one is the narrow gate, or if you're reading the original King James, as Brother Tommy did, the straight gate. And it means that it is hard to enter and that it's not easily found. I'm sure many of you have traveled at times and there's been a road that you were to turn down and travel and perhaps it was in a hard-to-see location. Maybe it's got a lot of things around it. it. makes it difficult to find. Well, you have to understand that this is that kind of gate. For instance, in Luke 13 and verse 24, Jesus said, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. They want to go through the gate, but they're not able to go through the gate. Why? Well, too much baggage. The Lord is going to use an illustration in Mark chapter 10. I think it's really good. And what he has here is someone comes to him, and the Lord says how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. And then he explains, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The rich man tries to bring his riches with him. He tries to bring his baggage with him. In Matthew 5 and verse 20, he said, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Too many people are trying to bring all their religious baggage with them. On the other hand, though, in contrast to the narrow, difficult-to-enter gate is this wide gate, and there's no effort. In fact, if you're just traveling with a crowd, you'll go in and not even notice it. Everybody will be just moving right along. I can't tell you how many times I've been in an unfamiliar area and you come out of an area and you're forced into making a choice very quickly. I'll give you a good illustration. Just a few weeks ago, 
we went to Canada. We flew back into Detroit, and you come out of the uh, area where you have to turn in your passports, immigration, and immediately you're faced with three choices. Which choice are you going to go? I chose the wrong one. Thankfully, I was able to punch the GPS in and find the right one, but I chose the wrong one. People have to realize sometimes in life, if you just travel with a crowd, you're going to go one the majority of the crowd is going to go to. Exodus 23.2 says, You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. And the reason why is the majority are swayed by the devil. In 1 John 5 and verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, whose mind the God of this age has blinded. The devil is in control. But in addition to that, there's always people who are saying, go this way, go this way, the false prophets in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, same context. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They're not your friend. They're telling you to go the wrong way. But now, second of all, I want you to notice the challenge. If you're going to enter the narrow gate and go down the difficult way, he said there is a difficult way that leads to life. When you think about difficulty, that word is used several times in the New Testament and translated crushed, hard-pressed. For instance, in Mark chapter 3, verse 9, So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. The Lord had hundreds thousands of people that were crowd around him and they would push him so much he said get me a boat so I can put out a little bit from land and the people won't crush me. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8 We are hard pressed on every side yet not crushed perplexed but not in despair. Hard pressed we would put it we're between a rock and a hard place. In 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 5 he said, for indeed, when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. You see what happens when a person finds himself hard-pressed with this challenge. And Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey said that we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Some people want you to believe that there are no challenges to being a Christian. There are. It's difficult and hard to make it in this life. But you see, the Lord talks about some difficulties we're going to face. And I really believe this first one is probably one of the most great challenges that you and I will face. And that is distractions. There are a lot of people today who are talking about the challenge of people driving a car while they're trying to text. And actually the people who are texting are more dangerous than the people who are drunk. Why are they more dangerous? 
because they're distracted. Their eyes are not focused. If the narrow gate is difficult to enter, hard to enter, then if I'm distracted, I'm going to go right by it and never notice it. Listen to Mark 4, verse 19. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. We live our lives, we're worried about tomorrow, what we've got to do at work. We're worried about our children going to school. We're worried about retirement. We're worried about all these other things and spiritual things now become something way down on the list to us. And in addition to that, we have deceivers. We have those wolves in sheep's clothing who are telling us, oh, this is the right way, don't worry about that other way. Those people don't pay attention to them. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 17, Peter says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. And then, just plain old desire. Things that pull us away. When Paul wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 6, he says, For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away with various lust. Lust that draw people away. But you see, because we're going to go the way that few find it, we're going to find ourselves being told at every moment, you're going down the wrong road. You're on the wrong path. We're going to be told, you're too narrow-minded. What do you mean? You people think that liquor shouldn't be sold everywhere on every corner? You think that homosexuality is wrong? You think that abortion is wrong? You think you're the only ones going to heaven? You are a bunch of self-righteous bigots? That's a very lonely walk. If there are few that find it, we may find ourselves the only person in a class who really believes in God. Everybody else doesn't. We may find ourselves the only person at our job who's striving to walk in accordance with God's laws. That's okay. Jesus found himself there in Matthew 26, 56. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Jesus was there alone. In Luke 14, verses 25 through 27, Jesus said a man has to hate his father and mother, sisters and brothers and children, yes, in his own life to be his disciple and he says, a man doesn't forsake all that he has. He cannot be my disciple. But now I want to focus your attention to verses 21 through 23. And I want to focus on the consequences. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The Lord makes it clear. There's just two destinations. Either you are going to go to life or you're going to go to destruction. That was clear in the contrast of verses 13 and 14. But now he makes it clear there's a consequence to those choices. In chapter 25 and verse 46, he summarizes it like this. And these will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The separation is going to occur at the end of time, and there's going to be those go to life and those who go to destruction. Folks, there won't be a purgatory. There won't be a place of oblivion. There's either going to be life or destruction. John 5, 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming which all that are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And in Acts 24, verse 15. I have hope in God, which they themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. But now I want you to visualize what the Lord has us to picture here. We're standing at the judgment bar. And the Lord says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter. One can be surprised at the day of judgment. Do you mean it's possible that I can be standing there before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord say, I don't know you? And then you begin to argue with the Lord, but I did this, I went to church, I heard that sermon about this. How could this happen? Some people are just basically uninformed. That is, they have never learned the truth. In 2 Peter 3, verse 16, he's talking about the writings of Paul. He says, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the Scriptures. And then in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 8 and 9, he talks about those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. But the Lord also talks about the unprepared. Unprepared. In verses 1 through 13, for time's sake, let me summarize to you. There's going to be a great wedding. Ten virgins were brought with their lamps to light the way. Five brought sufficient oil and extra oil. Five only brought enough for the time they thought allotted. When the bridegroom didn't come, what happened? They had to go and buy oil. And in verse 13 we read, or at verses 11 through 13, And the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. There's a lot of people going to be like this on Judgment Day. Lord, we went to church every Sunday, and the Lord said, but did you prepare yourself? Did you do what you know you needed to do? And you say, well, no, I didn't. Depart from me. Folks, that's sad. Do you realize that if the Lord says that to you, it's eternal destruction? 
And then there's the lazy. Oh, we don't like to talk about being lazy. But you pick up with verses 14 and read through verse 30 and he gives the parable of the talents. And he gets down to the one talent man and he says to him in verses 24 through 28, he came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you had not sown, gathering where you had not scattered seed. I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what is yours. The Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. This man here was taken because he wouldn't do with what he had been given. You know what's going to happen on Judgment Day? I'm afraid to many of us. The Lord's going to look at us and say, Do you know what kind of opportunities I gave you? Do you know what kind of abilities I gave you? And what did you do with it? You see, it's going to be a sad day coming, as the song says. Your soul is too important for you to be careless. This is not something to play around with. This is not something to just pass off. This is not an invitation to say, oh, well, it's just like any other. You must strive to enter. I want to go back to Luke chapter 13. This time I want to add with it verse 23. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and not be able. You've got to put some effort into it. You've got to do something. This morning, when we sing the invitation song, here's what you do. You don't stand there and hold on to the back of the pew. You don't look at the other end of the pew and think about what's this person doing, what's their condition. You evaluate your own life. And if you're not right with God, you need to walk down the aisle, say, I want to be baptized for the remission of my sins. I want to confess my sin, and I want to be restored to faithfulness. You need to beware of false promises and fakes. There will be some people who will tell you like Joel Olstein, Oh, life in every day is going to be a beautiful one. I am great. You are better. Let me tell you something. If we don't deal with sin in our own lives, we will not be saved. I need to end with a passage that I think is appropriate for this. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Jesus answered and said to him, that is to Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's where we're going to stop. And if you need to become a child of God by being baptized for the remission of your sins to enter the kingdom of God, we want to urge you to do that. If you need to be restored to faithfulness, would you come while together we stand and sing?